Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben Brandell. And today's episode is going to be about baby wildlife and really what you should do with them when you encounter them. So this is kind of about that human to baby wildlife relationship. This episode is meant to be helpful and informational. But before we get started, we do need to give thanks. I am thankful for touch, for sight for being able to hear. I lost my smell. been really frustrated that I can't smell. Been uh, tasting foods all changed. And that kind of helped me put in perspective of like, I still need to be thankful that I can feel things, I can hear things, and that I can still see. I'm just super grateful for those senses. Ben, just share with everybody because it, it really is, it, it sucks, mm-hmm. uh, stinks, hoovers, whatever you want to say. It is not a good thing, and it has been a long time for you. I've watched you battle it, suffer with it. Um, you don't complain about it really much at all, but how long has it been? When did this happen, and, and what's it like for you? Yeah, I was opening morning rifle season two years ago. So uh, going on two and a half years. Yeah, and uh, I was sick for two days with COVID, and really on that second day, you know how you have that head cold where you just get congested and you can't smell? That's what it was like. It was like, I'm just super congested. And once all of that went away, I still could not smell like I had used to. Um, and then that's when I began to realize like food, things started to, to seem different. Um, you know, I will say that it has come back a little bit. And what I mean by that is I used to not be able to smell anything stinky, um, which you'd think that's a blessing. Like <laughs> You'd think like, oh, you know what? Not being able to smell someone's toot is great. But then when you realize like, you don't know what you smell like. You have no idea what you smell like around other people, and that can be a problem. At least it is for me. I I don't want to stink. So, so well, yeah, it, it's a little unnerving. It like, is. Do it I, is. Do I stink today or but do that, I not? Especially as much as we work outside. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I know that I've had bo before, and so to now not to be able to smell bo, I'm like, there's got to be days I still have it. I well, just. I promise I'll always tell you. <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate that. So I also want to give thanks to my friend, Mayor Brian, that's going <laughs> to help me through that. Um, but honestly, uh, what I mean by that it's coming back is, um, you know, gasoline doesn't smell like gasoline used to smell like. It has a different odor now. Um, food will taste like gasoline smells now. Um, but the number one thing that I taste a lot that's weird is soap. Like a lot of this food, I'm... I thought we narrowed it down, but honestly, I don't know. Cause sometimes I think it's garlic. Sometimes I think it's different bread. Sometimes I think it's seasonings, but it tastes like soap. And it's like eating a bar of of the old green soap and eating some Irish spring. It is. Yeah, that's the brand, Irish spring. It's like eating that. Um, you know, you can still smell skunk, but it doesn't smell like skunk used to mm. smell. And it really doesn't stink that bad. So, um you just kind of, yeah, you just kind of roll with it. There's days, it seems like it changes because I think, I think Brian's offered me lunch before that I've eaten and it tasted fine. And then like a week later, he's served it to me again and, and it's tasted like soap. So I haven't figured it out and I don't know what to do, but to continue to roll on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel for you on that. And hopefully someday that it comes back or, or maybe in the medical world, they, they come up with a, a treatment. They understand right. what nerve or what right. was actually damaged by COVID, and, and maybe there's a treatment for it. Right. Don't know, but I, I do hope that that comes back for you because eating is a it's one of those enjoyable things that, that God blessed us with. I know it, yeah. And, and you know, there's there's days that you eat the food, and it tastes really good, and I'm thankful, and, and the days that aren't, you just got to just uh, eat. <laughs> you get what you get and don't throw a fit sometimes, yeah. and you roll on. Um you know, the other thing is that I have tried what everyone said. I've sniffed smells and, and the oils and sniffed aromatherapy. Them, aromatherapy. I have tried ivermectin. A lot of people like, you got to do the ivermectin. That's the, that's, it's a big conspiracy that no one can take it. And now, and I took it and, uh, I still can't smell. So, right. You know, with what I'm about to give thanks for and what you just did, the, really the, the underlying message is this, that the world we live in is tough. There are wonderful things mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in places and things and ways that we can see uh, 
God the Father, the Creator, we, we can see that. But there's also so many reminders that we are in a broken, fallen world yes. um, until He returns. And that's kind of my message with this too, is like, if you are a Christian and you're in a moment of your life that's great, where there's a lot of excitement, a lot of joy coming, be careful sending the message to people that like that's what Christianity is because yeah. it, isn't. it um, isn't. Whether Christian or not, you are going to go through struggles and battles, and it is tough in this world. So what I am thankful for today uh, is something that happened to me the other night, Ben. You and I were out late teaching a CPR first aid class, and I have been having some suspension front end issues with my truck. I've put over a thousand dollars into to ball joints and U joints and it's just been this popping and cracking and trying to get it fixed. But in the midst of all that, life is really busy. Working and parenting and running kids from this to that and just driving all around and hard to get your vehicle into the shop. It's been in the shop a few times. Yes, yeah. And thought everything was fixed, but as we pulled out it was like ten o'clock at night the other night, we pulled out of where we were teaching uh, I lost all control, all steering of my vehicle. I had nothing. Um, I is a pickup truck, so I was able to hop over the curb, just wherever the natural drift of my truck was going. Drove over the curb and and into a gas station, and just tried to coast out of the way. And called you and said, "Hey, man, <laughs> uh, you had ran down the street to Taco Bell. You're so like, I'll I get was some food. in the Taco Bell line, and I was talking to the person, and they were like, "What do you want?" And you called, and I was like, well, that it's weird. Because yeah. honestly, just so everybody knows, like once Brian's done, he's on his way home, like you don't really hear from him. It's even kind of hard to, to get a hold of him after yeah, the fact. I'm ready, so, I'm ready to check out. So he's like, yeah. So for him to call me, I was like, well, something's not right. So I answered, and he's like, need your help over here at Come and Go. Broke down. And so I said, I'll be there. So I turned, <laughs> and the gal was waiting to take my order. And I said, yeah, I'm sorry. I've got an emergency i got to run to. And she goes, oh, okay, that's okay. Have a good day. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, thanks. And I, yeah, I got out of the line, which was really difficult. Yeah, I, thanks for coming. It was difficult to get out of a Taco Bell line. I don't know if you've ever been in a single lane line, but well, uh, I know what Taco Bell you were at. And I can hardly make <laughs> so a turn did, in my truck. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I backed out. Yeah. I backed out. So, anyway, no, we got him taken care of. And, and, yeah, but, thank, thanks for coming back to me. Um, but what actually had happened was the whole center link and tie rod, basically everything that holds your wheels straight on your truck or vehicle to turn your wheels and keeps them from just completely turning out sideways. Uh, it all just broke and fell off and was dragging underneath my truck. And so what I am thankful for is that it didn't happen when my kids were with me. It didn't happen during rush hour and it didn't happen when I was going down the highway at 70, 75 miles an hour. Yes, absolutely. Because if my wheels had just flipped out sideways, my truck could have rolled, spun, smashed. I could have easily died. I've been driving around with that problem for a long time now mm-hmm. uh, with my kids in the vehicle. As a matter of fact, my son, uh, Hayes, rode with me to where I was, and my wife came and picked him up. So it could have happened two hours or a few hours before that while we were driving there, and it didn't. So I was so thankful for the Lord's protection, so thankful that it happened when it did. It was such a peculiar thing that a, a very seasoned, multiple decades tow truck driver said that he's never seen this happen on a full-size truck. He's never seen it. Um, once I got it to my mechanic, who has twice the amount of years as the tow truck driver said, he's never seen it happen on a full-size truck. So this is like, it shouldn't happen because it's so dangerous. It doesn't happen, but it happened to me, but it happened in a time where I am okay, but it did when I woke up the next day I just had this feeling of like, I am so thankful to wake up to be not just alive, but to be a dad and to be a husband today, uh, to wake up and still have those roles. So even when we have those days of struggle of, man, why do I have to deal with this again today? Really, if we can turn our perspective and our hearts and our focus towards the things that we are grateful for, we can find some joy even in the stinky parts of life. And so I am thankful for mm-hmm. the Lord's protection. I'm thankful for you sticking with me. You got to go back to Taco Bell. Yeah, I did. And get me some food. Yeah, I did. <laughs> we hadn't eaten supper yet. That's why Taco Bell was so so uh, on the mind. It By this time, it was really like 10.30 good. at night. It we just wanted some really, food. really, really, really good. And I've been doing keto, but I broke it <laughs> to get some Taco Bell because mm-hmm. that was really the only option at that point in time. But the truck's at the shop getting fixed. I'm all in one piece. My family's all in one piece. We're back to work doing our thing. We are, and thankful that we get to do that as well. Thank, 
super thankful that we have a, a job today that we get to still do. Yes. So let's get started with what to do with baby wildlife. The reason that we are doing this topic today is it is that time of year through much of the U.S. Baby wildlife everywhere. We're reaching the end of spring. We're deep into spring. Summer is so close. Baby wildlife is going to be everywhere, and people are going to be encountering it. Almost every spring, everyone encounters some type of baby wildlife. What should we do when we encounter it? We're going to talk about several different types of wildlife and what to do with each specific one, and then we'll share some stories uh, at the end that may may just give you the exact piece that you need in the situation that's coming up to you uh, in the coming weeks. So what are some of the common animals that we really, what are some of the most common ones that people are going to encounter here in, in North America as, as spring deepens? Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about it. Uh, let's just start with like around the house because every year I have, and this is, this is whether you live on a, a farm or yeah. in a neighborhood in the yeah, city, animals, exactly. you live with wildlife. Exactly. They find their, their areas, you know, um, birds. I have so many nests at my house just walking around of um under my deck uh, i've got a very tall deck so underneath that i've got birds that love to build nests and they seem to come every year to the same spot you know um i know that i've got um some light fixtures up there as well that i've seen some nests on so birds in general every year this time seeing lots of action yeah so with birds, they are going to look for nesting places that are safe and that food is readily available. They don't have to hunt for it. So oftentimes around houses, there are places that they can get protected from the weather under awnings and they can easily build nests on lights. So they're covered. They're away from predators because a lot of predators aren't going to be coming around the houses and all the lights on houses bring a lot of insects and things around. So there's a lot of food. That's so good, it yeah. is a great spot for birds to build their nests. However... Yeah. Now you have humans and animals interacting. It makes a huge mess. We have cats and dogs that we like to live around our houses that are now something we have to worry about if we want to save them. Um, you know, this just reminded me, when you and I are fishing, uh, the bridges, um, I'm guessing they're, they're the swallows, swallows, barn swallows. Yeah. Um, you will see their mud nests. I mean, from as far left as right as you can see. Hundreds. And, oh, hundreds. And the birds just going crazy matter of fact there are so many birds that you can see them poop a lot and fish are actually like ready for that poop to hit the water a lot yeah. of times which is pretty cool so just a lot of action this time of year with all the nests and, and all the babies but with around the house because they're it's such a common place for a lot of bird species to make their nests a question that people are going to ask is well how do i keep that from happening well once you live in a house you'll start identifying those spots like under your deck on top of your floodlights uh, it's, I've got one on my deck on top of, it's like a ceiling fan on my deck that this, mm -hmm. these finches are insistent on on building a nest. What can I do to keep them from doing that? And there are some things you can do, but at the end of the day, uh, it is your property. It is your stuff. So you get to make that decision whether to allow them to do that or not. But there's things like bird spikes. They're basically glued down or tacked down spikes that you can put on top of that thing. You can do rubber snakes. Uh, there's like these blow up beach ball looking monster things that you can hang. But again, now you have these things to look at and birds are really smart and they learn, okay, I went around this thing. I didn't like it the first few times, but it didn't come after me. You will see those things begin to not be effective because the birds truly do learn. It's just a fake thing. Like a, it's a fake snake. They will learn that. So it will be effective for a while. Um, Plastic owls, people like to use plastic owls. Anything that is a predator, imitates a predator, you can use those. Um, but at the end of the day, if there is a nest in a spot that you don't want it, it is your property, we do have dominion over animals, you can remove that nest. Do understand that they may come back in the same spot, even though that you moved it because they don't understand what happened. Well, I'll give you an example of that. I had a canoe hanging up under my deck. Yeah. And... I left that canoe there for two years, didn't use it. I had a nest on each end of that of that canoe. It's a tragedy. Not <laughs> I using know. your canoe for two I years. Know. Come on, bro. Matter of fact, I got it for sale, so if anybody out there wants it. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I took it down because I am I am cleaning it up, getting it ready. I, I am thinking about selling it. And so no longer do the birds this year have access to that. So 
the same wall that this canoe was on, they actually made a new nest on my floodlights on that same wall, which is right there by that. And I had never had a nest on my on my floodlight before, but because I removed those nests, they are definitely going to try to make a new one. And that's what they did. I mean, that's that's why when Brian's saying you can remove them, if you see them starting to make it, remove it then, you know? You get to be the judge after they lay the eggs if you're going to or not. Right. But, but you'll start seeing them do work, and, and you can remove it before they even think about laying an egg. Right, yeah. And if you if they start building a nest two or three times and you remove the partially built nest, they're, they're eventually going to get the idea of, okay, this isn't worth it. Something keeps happening to this nest. And to be honest, they may not nest that year, but most of the time it's a common enough bird species that that's not – it's not a huge deal. Not every single bird of every bird species has to successfully reproduce every year because they don't in the wild. They don't because of predators and, and storms and other things like that. Um, what are some other common ones, Ben? Um, you know, you, this time of year I see a lot. Actually, two types, um, same species, but while driving, I see them crossing the road. And then actually, this is a time of year when you and I are in the bass boat and we'll see them, the little itty bitty guys on top of the water, and it's it's turtles right. of all kind. You know, um, one of my favorites was is seeing these itty bitty turtles in the water while we're fishing in the spring. Right. It's they're so cute, <laughs> just cute little suckers. Yeah, that you know we we are not uh, we are not a wildlife service. We're not rehabilitators, but people who know us, neighbors, friends, we do get called for that because people know we work in the outdoors and that we've worked with wildlife in the past. So I do every year get get several calls. Hey, I see this. What should I do? Um, one that I get almost every single year is, is turtles. And a lot of times it's snapping turtles. So if you live around water, whether a pond, river, lake, whatever it is, snapping turtles are going to remove themselves from that body of water, 100, 200 yards. They're going to find a nesting spot they're going to bury these eggs. They're going to come out incubated, uh, hatched, and you're going to have little tiny snapping turtle hatchlings that are like quarter to silver dollar size. They're really cute. They are. They but are. so many times they have to cross like a gravel driveway or a road or something to get back to the body of water mm-hmm. where the parents originated, the closest body of water. And so a lot of them will get smashed. And so people, what should I do? What should I do? Should The answer is help them. Look at where the body of water is. That's the direction they're going. And just move them off the road. You don't have to take them all the way down to the water. You can if you want to. Um, But that is something, that is one of the baby wildlife things that it is truly okay to pick them up and help them and move them off from getting smashed. If you just move them off to the edge of the road, they could get picked up by a hawk or crows. Crows are really good at picking off baby turtles. If you want to move them all the way down to the water, that's the best chance they have of survival. But you can actually help them. What I would say Make sure you get off the road because I've seen people stop smack dab in the middle of a dangerous road to help a turtle. Don't put yourself in harm's way. If you're able to safely help them, then go ahead. Absolutely. You know, I'm going to talk more about this in a little bit, but I will will make my first... Stake your first claim here. Yeah. um, Humans are more important than any animal. Every animal on earth. Every animal. Yeah. So the next one that people are going to see a lot this time of year, and they are so cute, (laughs) baby rabbits. Yeah. Rabbits are absolutely one of the most prolific reproducers of wildlife there are, and they are, uh, uh, they're really tiny, they're really vulnerable, they're really cute, and people are going to find them all the time, people's animals will find them. I've seen dogs bring these babies, baby rabbits up unharmed in their mouths. Kids find them, pick them up, bring them to you. You'll find them in, in weird, odd places because they are. They're babies. They don't know how to keep themselves safe. And they're rabbits. They're a prey species. So they are vulnerable to begin with, even as adults. But they're so small, you can literally fit four or five of them in your hand. I've had people call me and say, hey, I found baby rabbits. I'm helping them. I have them in a shoebox. What should I do? Can I put it back? Now I've touched it. What should I do with it? And uh, the the answer is, well, you should have never picked it up to begin with, <laughs> yeah. to, to be honest with you. Yeah. But people are going to find them. They are so cute. You can put them back if you know where the nest is. Usually if you find a nest of them, they'll be all tucked up in some kind of depression that's underneath something. Uh, 
usually lined with fur or grasses. I mean, the mom will make a little nest. You can place it back in there just because you touched it does not mean that the mom will disown it and not raise it. That is a, a farce, a myth that is, is told very often. On that topic of, of touching them and, and killing them, another species that comes up so often with that myth that people are going to encounter in the spring is fawns. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're out west and it's mule deer or or elk calves or whitetail uh, fawns here for us, so often people say, do not touch that fawn. Once you touch it, it's done. Um, there's not there's not a whole lot of truth to that at all. There is not a whole lot of truth. If it is in danger's way, if it's in front of your brush hog or your, your disc bind that you're cutting hay with, then pick it up and move it. Yeah, that's Don't what, just run it over. And that's I mean, most of the time what's happening here, right? It's it's we are in their bedding, nesting, their area that they are being raised and growing up in. You're you're probably not going to see this thing on just the side of the road, and you're like, oh, I need to move it off the road. Like, you're a farmer that's out cutting hay. You've either about to hit it or have possibly, right? But at the end of the day, you're saying if you find one out in the middle of this pasture, it isn't moving and you're needing to cut your hay or brush hog, whatever you're doing, get it out of the way, help move it out of the way to the area that you've already cut, and then keep rolling on. Absolutely, yeah. Don't take it home and put it in your bathroom because mama wasn't around. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Another common one this time of year is going to be opossums. And you don't just see a lot of opossum, baby opossums out running around, and that's because they're marsupials, so they are being raised in their mother's pouch. But what happens so often is these mother opossums get hit on the road and will be killed, Mm -hmm. but the baby opossums in the pouch will not. So most of the baby opossums rescued in the spring are from a mother's, a deceased mother's pouch. And people will say, well, what, what do I do when I do that? First of all, make sure that the mother is dead. (laughs) Don't grab it. I mean, they, they have more teeth than any other land mammal in North America. So don't, don't grab possums. They will bite you. They also have that, uh, unconscious, instinct where they people say they play dead i'm doing quotes because they're not actually playing dead it's an instinctual unconscious thing that happens they could be doing that make sure that they truly are dead and then if you want to save the baby opossums there are some things you can do but you shouldn't just uh take them home yeah you know i actually this happened to me my dog uh, my terrier at the time killed a mama and i knew that he killed it i mean it it was dead but its belly was moving and that's the first time that I have ever seen baby opossums um, was because of that. And so you're spot on. I was like, what do I do? You know, what do you do with that? So uh, that can be tricky. Um, but at the end of the day, they are wildlife, right? Right. Right. They are. Another really common one. These are, again, really cute, really fun to see, fun to watch. And that's waterfowl, particularly the Canadian geese. My goodness, you'll see one. There's a ton of geese. But they they hatch a bunch of hatchlings out this time of year, and you'll see them running around. They're they're cute. They grow really fast. They're fun to watch. But if you find one that you think is abandoned, I'm gonna tell you to proceed with caution because if it's not abandoned and mom was just around the corner, when you get up to that thing, <laughs> you're getting ready to get high. fought. Yeah, you're getting ready to get fought hard. Uh, geese can be really really mean, really really territorial, very protective of their of their young. So with waterfowl. I would say never rescue them. You rule a thumb with waterfowl, it's such a little chance of actually successfully raising them if they are truly in danger and their migratory species highly federally protected. To protect yourself, do not touch waterfowl ever would be my advice. Yeah, that's great advice. But, you know, you've talked about baby birds, baby turtles, fawns, rabbits, opossums, waterfowl. There's probably even more. You know, there's there's probably more. Yeah, that was just... A, a quick list of the most common. You know, what's funny is you didn't say like snakes, you know, all the time. <laughs> Little snakes are crossing the road, but people don't seem, well, to, <laughs> seem yes, to care. <laughs> and a lot of a lot of those are going to be more a different time of year than right now, too. But you are going to start seeing more adult snakes right now or juvenile snakes from last fall that are uh, getting more full-sized. and But they're just not as cute and cuddly. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> so who cares? That's what people say. I know. And, and the biggest – man, when it comes to snakes – People just jump so quickly to to grab the axe, grab the hoe, grab right, the shotgun. Right. Let's let's kill them, get rid of them. Man, there are just so there are more beneficial species of snakes than there are 
bad, venomous ones that you don't want around. Right. That education, educate yourself, learn to identify these, um, know some people around you that are good at identifying. I say of all the wildlife pictures and questions that you and I get, the number one thing I get year-round is snakes. Yeah. Hey, identify do. this. That's you the do. number one thing that I get. What kind of snake is this? Um Education is a great thing. Learning to identify some of these snake species so that you are or not. But again, if it's around your stuff and you don't want it around, I had a garter snake in my garden just a, a week or so ago, um, and I just picked it up and, and removed it. Took it back to the back of my property. Didn't kill it. Honestly, I I want it around. Yeah. Uh, for some of the things that it eats, the snails and the slugs, and some of those populations that it keeps down. But obviously, in my garden, where my wife and kids are going to be gardening, isn't a great spot for it. So I removed it from there. Just took it elsewhere on my property. But I knew, I knew that it couldn't harm me. You know. So that's really where that line is. Is is this going to harm me? If you don't know, uh, try to find out before you just take the take the hoe to its head. No, absolutely. You know, and and there's there's others as well, but. Humans, I really feel like we want to help animals. You know, they think that we think that we're doing something good probably by doing it, right? Well, we did the anthropomorphism episode, which right. is which is giving human characteristics, uh, whether physical or emotional, personality to animals, mm-hmm. and we do that. And most humans are truly caring and want to care for these animals. However, um, we lose sight of what's actually happening ecologically, biologically, and we step into situations that we really are doing more harm than we are doing good. And, but well, it comes from a place of sincerity, right. of wanting to help. Right, and, and that's what I want you to explain. What's the difference between precocial and altricial? Because that's really what's happening here. We as humans are seeing all these different animals that you're talking about as babies, and we think that they can't take care of themselves. Right. Or or need somebody to help them. So when we're talking about precocial, you know, that is mature, independent. They don't need help. And they're going to have animals that definitely don't need our help because they don't even need mama's help. Right. Then you have some animals that are, I'm saying, altricial, and they are helpless. They are reliant on the mother, and they cannot do anything without the mother. Um, you know, example example of that would actually be us as babies. You right. know, we have to have mother. You can't just leave a baby in it and it go do its thing. But looking at some of these species here, the baby birds, baby turtles, fawns, rabbits, opossums, and waterfowl, some of them do rely on their moms. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about the deer earlier. I know that sometimes mama deer gets killed and baby deer is left behind. Yeah. But does baby deer need mama deer? Baby deer absolutely needs mama deer to, to nurse. So there are animals that... We'll stick with the deer, for instance. Yeah. If if you know you're driving down a road and you see a doe, uh, the mom, dead, hit by a car on the side of the road, and the fawn standing off in the weeds, bleeding, making making this, this distress sound, and you know this is mom and this fawn's around, or maybe you see the mom and the fawn and you see the doe get hit and killed, that is a time to step in if you want to. Right. You do not have to. You can let nature take its course. But if in your heart you're like, this baby is going to be dehydrated, malnourished, is going to die a painful death, and that is what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. If you know that, there are occasions where another doe will come in, um, but the chances are that that's not going to happen. Another doe will come in and, uh, again, I'll air quote, adopt this this stranded fawn, but most of the time that's not going to happen. So if you know mom's dead, I need to help, and this goes for other species too, then it's time to call. And the reason I'm saying call, you need to call authorities because you need to protect yourself. It's illegal to just take wildlife in and raise it in your home, raise right. it as your own. It right. is not. It is against the law to do that. So call your game warden. They may come get it. They're going to have the contacts of the people that you need to call. Call the conservation agents. They know the certified uh, wildlife rehabilitators to call. They may give you permission to keep it for a night or two. They may come get it and take care of it for you. But at that point in time, if you want to help, you know mom's dead, you need to make a call to protect yourself. But let's be real. That same game warden may also tell you... Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yep. Leave it alone. Full well knowing that the thing is going to die, that's just the law. That's what we're going to do. Right. We're going to leave it be. You know, we've got stories 
both individual stories of of those situations happening, and that's what we are supposed to do. You let you know let the animals do what they're going to do. Yeah, you know, for me, one time I found a, a great horned owl, beautiful bird, but something was wrong with it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I could walk right up to it. Nothing visibly wrong with it at all. Again, it's a uh, it's a species that's really really protected. I wasn't going to touch it, so I called uh, the local game warden. And what they told me was not to touch it. And I said, well, no, it's in an area, it's in a public area that I'm responsible for. This bird needs to be moved. Can I move it? If so, what do you want me to do with it when I move it? I said, yep, move it out of the way of people and then leave it and get away from it. And I said, well, this bird, I guarantee you, this bird will die, has no chance. He said, yep, got it. Move it out of the way. Right, correct. And so... (laughs) wild happens. I mean, mm-hmm. wild is wild. That's, that's, it's the wilderness. It's dog eat dog world. If you want to call it that things have to die for life to happen. It's a cycle and circle that goes around. And they understood that once I was actually able to put my hands on this bird and pick it up, I could feel how ill that it was. I could feel that it, it's, uh, it's keel. It's keen there on its chest was just really sticking out, protruding. It had almost no breast meat on it. It was like malnourished, emaciated, just a sick, sick bird, even though it looked beautiful and healthy from the outside, it was not. So he knew right. what the right thing to do was. You know, even rabbits, that's it's just another, it happens so much. Uh, mama rabbit, you think, dies. Um, maybe you know for sure that mommy rabbit is dead. I don't know. Maybe you hit it with your lawnmower. Maybe you did. Maybe that was the other mommy rabbit. You know, you don't know. I have tried to raise baby rabbits that I found in the wild. Uh, my dog killed the mother. And I say that because I saw the adult killer. (laughs) You know, this is actually, this is a red healer. This wasn't even, (laughs) wasn't even my terrier that I had. But, um, and, and I say my dog killed a, an adult rabbit. I'm guessing it was mother, but we did find the nest because of my dog. Um, she found the nest, and I didn't know what to do with it, right? So that is what people ask. What are you supposed to do with the babies you find? And that's what I'm trying to say. There are animals that are are precocial. They get to that age really quickly that they don't even need mom, and they're mm-hmm. probably going to do better. Even if they're going to struggle a little bit, they're probably going to do better out in the wild without you than you trying to take them in to help them. Right. I have yet to have a wild rabbit live under my care. Well, and it's <laughs> it's so dangerous to do that too because even if you are successful, even if you have the things, the uh, resources and the knowledge to take care and raise baby wildlife, mm-hmm. uh, something happens called imprinting where they actually view you as their parent or part of, they view you as them. They think they're part of your family. And guess what? Now they are. And if you release them back to the wild, that is more cruel and nasty than just leaving them out there to begin with. Right. Yeah. And that's a hard that's a hard message to tell people because they they put this effort and time and really felt like they did something well. And most of the time I don't tell people that. I don't say, Oh, you raise that thing for six months and then let it go. Uh it's gonna it's gonna be eaten, not know how to find food, miss you badly, like that was worse than just leaving it. I don't tell people that, but that is actually the reality. Yeah, but see, ever so many people do feel that way of like, how do we take care of these babies? It's that time of year we see it. How do we take care of them? But my question is, why? Why do we even care? And I truly think it comes from God. I think God has has put in us the innate want to care for His creation. I mean, we look at Genesis one. 27 through 28, Mm -hmm. he literally gives us the dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. That's instilled in us. It's a part of us. So when we look out and see that, it's like we want to help. Right. And and the Bible's clear on domesticated animals that Mm -hmm. is ours, our stock, how we're supposed to care for it. Like you can tell a man a man's character by how he takes care of his animals. So right. that is in us to want to care for them, but we have to understand and draw that line between wildlife and our domestic Because there animals. is an ethical treatment of animals. There mm-hmm. truly is, and we should be. And as Christians, as as followers of Christ, that, that we believe that he has created these things and has placed us in authority over them, we should absolutely be taking care of them the best that we can. But we are saying that sometimes the best thing for them is to finish out their days 
out where they right. are. And you're actually we're actually talking about a small percentage here because most of the baby wildlife that humans are going to encounter, I'm going to say 80 to 90% of what is actually encountered, it doesn't need you. Mom is fine. Mom is around. It's being cared for or it's precocial and it doesn't even need mom. Most of the time, we don't need to help it. It just is exhibiting that way. So that really is the question is, why do we always think that these babies need help? Why do they look like they need help? Why do we always think that? And that is because they are are exhibiting behaviors. We understand as humans, our babies are helpless, right? So we think that of everything. It's it's just kind of this innate, we we think that is, is true for all babies. But really they're exhibiting behaviors that may appear helpless, it may appear like they're distressed, but they're going through the normal things that they need to do to learn and become physically well enough to be on their own. Right. And so while it appears to us awful and distressed, they're really just doing the normal stuff. You know, a baby snapping turtle is just that. It's it's a baby snapping turtle that doesn't need its mom. It's mm-hmm. it's going to do what it needs to do. Yeah, most reptiles and amphibians are, right. are that precocial. Right. They, they don't need help. They don't. They're on their own. Ready to roll as soon as they... Um, Almost all snakes, yep. honestly. As soon as snakes hatch, I've I, I've even read that a lot of snake species that are laying eggs, the mom leaves the eggs and never comes back. Mm, right. <laughs> like as soon as they hatch, they're on their own. So, uh, but it reminds me of Proverbs twelve ten, honestly here, where it says, "Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast." And I think that's what you were talking about earlier that that we we want and should and are caring for for this wildlife. Yeah, and, and I want to give some examples, and, and so people, when they see this, they can say, oh, I, I heard Ben and Brian talking about this, and probably the most common one is uh, a fledgling, a fledgling trying to fly, and a fledgling is a baby bird that is ready to leave the nest, but not ready to live quite on its own yet, so that when they leave the nest, they can fly five, six feet, maybe 10 feet, 20 feet up in the air increases rapidly with each day. They are getting more and more adult and primary feathers to to be able to fly, but they do these like little training runs and they'll literally do these little bursts and fly up and they may try to land on something and then fall down. Uh, they are by themselves, usually in vulnerable areas, sitting on the ground beside the house, sitting on top of your fence, on top of your mailbox. Like, why is a bird right there? Why am I able to walk up to it where I could grab it? And that makes you think, man, something isn't right. I need to help this bird. But they're really just going through, really they're training. Think about it like exercise. They're building up their breasts, their chest muscles, their flight muscles. They're building them up with these little burst runs. They're learning to land. They're learning where is safe. And while they're doing that, mom is actually out keeping track of where each and every one of them are, getting food and taking turns bringing food back to them. It appears like they are moments away from death and tragedy but they're just going through what they need to go through. You know, this just happened this morning. No lie. I went to Walmart uh, before uh, meeting Brian for work this morning, and and on the way to Walmart, as I turned in, two birds flew over the top of my truck real low, so right over the top of my truck, and then landed in the lane next to me on the road. And by that point, I was already past them, and I'm looking in my, my side mirror, and I'm looking back, and there's one on the road on its back, and it's and it's – trying to fly but it's on its back and it's not flying and and I almost stopped like part of me was like I need to go help mm-hmm. I almost stopped and I thought I'll go out and I'll help that thing get back up by the time I even thought about that here comes another bird lands and by that time they both fly away together right I mean it just happened just this morning I almost stopped to even do it and I didn't even need to because mama did what what she was supposed to what do she was supposed to do mm-hmm. another super super common one is fawns and I've done some social media videos on this on this before people bring fawns home every year that should not um but they're cute man they're so they're they're hard not to take home dude. there like, is there oh. isn't much cuter but when people see a new fawn they're like four to six pounds when they're born I mean they are tiny they're wobbly legged people see them trying to learn to walk and, and get away a lot of times their instinct is to just hide. So they will just lay there frozen and people think something's wrong with them because I walked up to this thing and it just let me pick it up. No, nothing's wrong with it. It's doing what God made it to do to hide. And mom is just right over there watching you or she'll be right back. She knows exactly where she left that fawn. I promise you the worst thing you can do, the worst thing you can do is pick up the fawn 
and take it home with you. If it is truly in danger's way, and I'm talking it's bedded down against your house and your dogs are snarling, drooling, trying to kill this thing, then it's okay. Pick it up, but don't take it too far. Take it to the closest place that is safe so that mom can come back and find this thing. But I understand they are cute, they are vulnerable, and a lot of times you can just walk right up to them, but that does not mean that it needs you. Please leave it alone unless it absolutely, absolutely is about to die and you think you can save it. And I think that's a good tip because when you identify that there is an animal that's in need, then you should help it. We're not saying not to go help. We're not saying to care for these animals. We are saying that sometimes we... We swoop in too fast. We swoop in too fast, um, and we don't need to. And and then we actually put the animal in harm's way at that point. Right. We cause a problem at that point. Right. You know, something I want to address on the baby birds, because that's such a common one right now, is... A, a fledgling versus a nestling because people will encounter both. Mm-hmm. And a nestling is just that. It needs to be in the nest. But what happens is the nest will get start to get crowded as they grow. One will get booted out or one loses its balance and falls over the edge. Sometimes even mom and dad may kick one out um, if, if they don't want it. They may identify it as, as sick or weak and they may actually boot it out. If it has downy, that fluffy feathers, feathers that don't look like this bird could fly, they're not flight feathers, that is a nestling and it needs to go back in the nest. If it looks like a little miniature version of mom and dad and it has real feathers, when I say real, um, they're flight feathers, they're not fluffy, they're not the downy feathers, then that's a fledgling and it's okay to be out of the nest. As a matter of fact, it needs to be out of the nest for it to survive. If it's staying in the nest, then it's never going to learn uh, to be an adult. It's never going to build the flight muscles and get the exercise that it needs. So what if you find a nestling? What should you do? The answer to that is if you know where the nest is and you can reach it, put it back in the nest. If you truly, really want to go to that far, far next step, you don't know where the nest is, maybe the nest got blown down by wind and you found a couple nestlings covered and down and you want to help them, you can build a little nest. You can build a little nest and put them in there. To be honest, I'm not going to go to that extent. Right. I'm going to let nature take its course. One thing I just thought of that I want to throw in on the bird side. If for some reason, in my mind when I'm saying all this, I'm thinking of like common species, house finches and and robins and other things. If, how to say this, uh, how how to say this professionally, if it is a well, if it's an invasive species, an invasive species, that's if it's the best an invasive way to it. species, yeah. I'm not helping it. Right. If it's a European starling, I'm not helping it. I know how European starlings reproduce, which is their nest parasites. They rob the nest and let some other parent hatch these these. They steal nests and they they are detrimental to other bird species. I'm not saving a baby starling. I'm not. Right. I'm not going to save it. But if you find a baby owl, hawk, some of these protected birds of prey, other species of birds that you know um, are protected, please call someone and get permission before you get yourself in big, big trouble. You don't want to take and start caring for these animals. I wouldn't even put it back in the nest. I would call before I did anything with it and say, hey, there's a baby owl down here. And a lot of times they may come, they may come help you, or they may say, "That's all, that's cool, uh, just let it do its thing." But don't get yourself in trouble over uh, an animal. Right, and I think where the trouble can come in is when you start sharing the information. So you know, I know that there's been some times where I've had to move some wildlife um, out of the the area. And the last thing I'm going to do is take a video of it and put it on social media, mm-hmm. right? So if you're in an area, you're on that farmland, you're on that back 200 acres. Um, if you need to help an animal, help them. But remember that as you start posting and, and showing a lot of this stuff, that is where you can get in trouble. So be mindful of that. Um, steer clear and and uh, make the right choices. Yeah. You know, other things that you can really do to help is to make sure that your animals are locked up. So if you have dogs or cats and you know that there's nests around and you want to protect those animals, whether it's rabbits, birds, if you want to protect them, then try to keep your animals away from them. If you don't care, then then let your animals go. But do know that if you have cats and dogs and they find a rabbit's nest, guess what they're going to do? What they're built to do, they're going to go after 
the baby rabbits. They're going to go after the meal. And anybody that has pets that are outside has experienced this before. That is what those animals are doing. They're not doing anything wrong. It would be up to the human to step in and, and protect if they want to. You know, I have heard people say this, Brian, and I think this is a good time to just bring up some clarity real quick. Um, humans are animals. So if we're all animals, then who's to say it's it's right or wrong for us to to even help these animals or or not help them because we're in their home and we're just animals and and we're equal to them. Mm. Well, I believe the Bible and the Bible says that we are not equal, that we have dominion uh, over them. And I go back to, and I go back to that humans have souls and humans will either go to heaven or hell. And I don't believe an, animals are faced with that decision and that choice to accept Christ the Savior or not. That's really good. I, I'm going to go a little more shallow than that. And <laughs> what I mean by that is you're not going to see an adult deer see that a nest of rabbits have lost their mom and it needs to step in and help. Right? Right. You know, as humans, we are looking out with our eyes and, and seeing what's what's happening. And, and when we see or feel like something is, is wrong, we do want to step in. So right? you're, you're going with the, the evidence of that we are more important than animals. Correct. Like I've already shared with you, we were created in God's image. You can find that in Genesis 1 and 26 through 27. We read some of that earlier. You know, God specifically created humans to have dominion over these animals. He he made us in his image, right? Also, we have the capability to spend eternity with our creator. Our animals don't. Now, I do want to say this, that in the original paradise, in the Garden of Eden, there were animals. So I do truly 100% believe that in the future paradise, there will still be animals because there is something special about animals. We love animals. We love taking care of them. We've even domesticated them so that we live with them every single day. But, you know, we can read and write. Animals cannot. We can actually use tools. Now, people are going to be like, whoa, Ben, look at the crow. Look at the raven. There are animals. Look at the apes. They all use tools. But let me tell you something that's even more cool. We actually use tools to make tools. There's no other There's no other life form out there that's doing that. Like, we make tools to make other tools. We don't just find around us and, and call that a tool. And then just like Brian said, lastly, is that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins of humans, not of animals. Right. And that, to me, is is what truly separates us. And that's okay to be separated. You know, are we going to have similarities? Absolutely. When people say, well, we're mammals because we have hair, we have live birth, uh, we have we we uh, feed through milk. I mean, all the examples of mammals, sure. But we have so many more differences, and that just separates us enough, and we have that dominion over that we should and are responsible for and to take care of what God's gave us, uh, entrusted in us to. And we don't say that with the message of being demeaning to animals. We're just speaking, we're trying to speak truth here, and we will be the first to tell you you should respect animals. You should absolutely respect them. And what I mean by that is to care for them, absolutely. to understand that you are sharing this earth yes. that God created all of us. We're sharing it with them, that we do have responsibility uh, to care for them. Well, here from locally, the habitat. Here locally uh, I heard that a farmer um, did not take care of the horses he had, had several horses, mm-hmm. and the pictures I saw were disgusting. Yeah. And, and that, that, that person needs to be locked up. They need to be punished because it was a responsibility to take care of those animals, and they didn't. And so my challenge is honestly to all the Christians out there that, that say they're a Christian, you should be taking care of animals more than any other person. Yes. Period. Yes, absolutely. And that doesn't mean not hunting or not fishing. Correct. That's a whole other road we could go down of conservation and the wise use and how you truly are caring for Sometimes them. it's the discernment to know, you know what, that wildlife is that, and I need to leave it alone to do what it needs to do. Right. Because the, the opposite, there is something going to eat that. And I could flip it and be like, well, the owl that just ate that little baby rabbit that had no mom, it needed to live too. Right. By me taking care of them, no longer does it have food. I mean, you can keep going down that road. You can't that, have that life road. without death. <laughs> Correct. You can't, you can't have Correct. it. So it is going to happen. We can't step in and protect every, every single, single piece one. of wildlife uh, from dying. You have to remember that 
your house at one time wasn't there. Yes. It was wildlife habitat. Correct. And now it is going to be used. You still have to live with and amongst the wildlife. So with that being said, what are some things that we can actually do around our house to maybe help these wildlife out? If they're going to be here, we're going to have to share with them. What are some things we can do? And there's some things that are really simple. When it comes to the birds, um, whether you're around ponds or maybe you're just in a prairie setting, what we can do is provide housing for them. We can build birdhouses. It's a super fun activity. It is. It's an affordable activity you can do with your kids or you can buy them already built. So your local um, uh, Department of Conservation um, or Conservation Commission, depending on where you live, a lot of them actually have kits that are free that you can go pick up and then you and your family have a project that you can build together and, and build birdhouses and bow houses. Yeah, and there's all kinds like of plans mm-hmm. online, but build birdhouses, give places for them to nest. Other things that you can do as far as habitat for, for rabbits and turtles and snakes and all these other species is you can practice no mow may. You can do no mow may. And that is actually where there are some areas on your property that you don't mow. Maybe it's around a fence or some trees at the back of your property. I'm not saying don't mow your whole yard, but pick a couple designated areas and don't mow and leave some habitat so they can raise their young. And then when it gets to July, August, June, whatever, after the they are away from the nest, go ahead and mow those areas if you want to. But leaving some no mow areas is a great way to be proactive and maybe even give them a place that will keep them away from your house. Uh, so they're not having to use your house for cover. So, Brian, would you please tell my wife that it's okay that I don't mow in the month of May? <laughs> no, you need to mow your yard, Ben. Dang it. No, we both need to mow really bad, but it's been super wet and, yeah. and rainy. and well, I like no mow May. I like yeah. that idea. That's going to be great. Uh, yeah, no mow May and no shave November. Yes. Those are, those <laughs> those are, are the two. Those are, some, those are some fun months as well. Uh, well, I, I want to end with a story that kind of, I just want to bring all this together a little bit where I got the idea to do this podcast episode, but I have these exterior lights like all the way around my house. And there are, I also have these little awnings over some of my windows on the front of my house. I have bird nests everywhere right now. (laughs) I have baby birds Mm -hmm. running everywhere around my house. Like they're everywhere. And so that's really where I kind of got this idea. And my wife, uh, she grew up, we'll say, she grew up more city than I did. So encountering all this baby wildlife and and she works in the medical field, not in the outdoors. So she doesn't really know. And I was kind of trying to share with her about these baby birds. There is a chair on my front porch and these robins, these young fledgling robins. So they are ready to be out of the nest. Let me share it this way. Your wife is very intelligent. Yes. And she is just like a lot of the people that we're talking about today. It's more of just the unawareness of yeah. just unfamiliar with what you're about to tell she us. She wanted to help. She made the, yeah. she watched some of those short flights of right. flying off the chair and into the wall and did the, oh man, is it okay? Like, what do we do? She realized, okay, well, we need to go out with the dogs to protect the birds. So we stepped out onto the porch when the dogs went out to use the bathroom so that they didn't go after the birds. She realized that, but then she was kind of like, well, Brian, where's mom? Why is this bird? It's just slamming into the wall. Something's wrong with it. And I was like, no, that's its that's its training mission. That's its training runs. It's trying to build those flight feathers. And in a day or two, you're going to really, really see how fast they progress. That thing's going to be flying around this house. And then eventually you're never going to see it again. It's able to get up onto the porch on top of the chair and get itself to a safe spot. And that was of an evening. She kind of looked at me like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, you're just trying to tell me that it's probably going to die. Well, the next morning, I was getting the kids ready for school, trying to get them out the door. Where we were sitting, putting uh, our little mudroom area where they're putting their shoes on, there's a window right there. And right outside that window is this chair on our front porch. Well, this baby bird was there all night. It was still in the exact same spot, big old poop streak down the back of the chair. Uh, and as these, as my boys are looking out the window, this bird's just a few feet away. Here comes Mama Robin with a mouthful of worms. She hops up on the chair, feeds the worms to the baby. We got to watch it, you know, just a few feet away. So awesome lesson for the kids to be able to watch it, but also to put that full circle together for my wife, like that I'm not crazy. This bird is well, fine. Okay. This, I am crazy, but in this in this very rare instance, yes. I knew what I was talking yes, about. You were correct. Yeah, in this I was instance, correct yeah. in this this very yeah. very rare instance. <laughs> uh, and mom came and fed it and flew right. off, and she's keeping track of where these fledglings are. 
and and keeping them safe and getting them food as they need it until they can find their own. So that that's kind of that full circle thing. That is what is happening in in your property, on your yeah. property, right outside your home. It's the time of year too that um, when you're having eggs, nests, and and hatching going on. Uh, this is when I've seen a lot of my big black rat snakes. Uh, and the only reason I've seen this is because the birds go crazy. I mean, absolutely berserk. But this is when I've seen the big black snakes trying to get up in the nests of a lot of these uh, of these spring birds. Um, and they're successful. They they, right. they get to feed on a few eggs as well. But so. that needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's, absolutely. That's part, of, that's, that's part of keeping everything in balance. That's why we you have could go remove the snake, species. but the snake needs food as well. Right. Right. It does. So... You know, just to kind of summarize everything here, I I would really say at the end of the day, your fail safe is to not step in. Right. To not step in, to not do anything. Let nature be nature. If in your heart of hearts, you know, you've identified that a mother is dead and you just have to step in, call and get permission to help. If you, you know, if you look up some very common, I'll just throw a few out, the Humane Society, PETA, some of these very active animal protection organizations, every single thing they say, everything you read or videos you see, they're going to say, try to save everything that you can save. And how you do that is to call a certified wildlife hospital wildlife rehabilitator. Now, having worked in the industry for years, I have been to trainings and worked alongside people who run these rehabilitation and they are inundated. They have no money. None of them have any money. Yeah. I'll say there's probably rare ones that are these fully funded, but they make money by fundraising. They don't make money by taking care of animals. They're all nonprofits that have have to fundraise and get money donated to them. They're almost always full, especially in the spring. They don't really have room. So if you call them, be ready to give them money and or food and, and, and maybe some housing materials. They're going to ask for help from you. They also may say, sorry, can't help you, but this person can. And then you look it up and that person's three hours away because there just are not that many of them because it's not a lucrative thing. There's no money in it. People have to truly, truly have a heart. So do know that if you are following this, I'm going to call, I'm going to get help. You're putting yourself on the radar and it is not an easy thing. It is a difficult place to find someplace that has the money and room to help you. You know, that's sad, but that is truth. And you were saying, you know, how do you know when? And and I think the line for me is if, if it's something I've done, if I've caused it, right? If I've allowed my dog to, yeah, that's a to really do whatever, good point. If, yeah. if I've hit, ran over, if, I, if, I, if I'm a part of it, then I may step in to help. But if I'm driving by, if I'm looking out, I'm going to let the wild be the wild and, and let them. Yeah. Because that is where that that becomes a problem when everyone's calling for for help. You can't help every single And I want to throw the disclaimer into what you're saying. You are more important. You listening are more important. So make sure it's safe. It's like when we teach CPR first aid. The first thing you do is make sure the scene is safe. Don't get out in the middle of the highway. I have removed a lot. I don't even want to know how many. I have moved a lot of turtles out of the road, especially baby turtles. But if you're stopping on a curb on a country highway to jump out and save this turtle... It ain't worth it, it man. Isn't worth it. it ain't worth it. But nope. if you can pull off into a driveway and someplace safe, maybe it's a back road and there's not a lot of traffic and move these turtles, then go ahead. Right. But be aware of where you're doing it. If you're pulling a snake off of a nest, well, make sure what kind of snake it is. Yeah. Don't put yourself in harm's way. Yeah, you absolutely. don't want to be harmed or killed just to save an animal. So make sure you're taking care of yourself. I love that people have a heart for wildlife. I absolutely love wildlife. I love creation. I love nature. I am not saying not to help. I'm just saying do it with discernment. Discernment. Do Mm -hmm. it with discernment. Understand that you may be doing more harm than good. Identify species. Identify if mom and dad are truly dead. If you just don't see them, then they're probably around. They're probably around. But go out, enjoy, take your kids, look for baby wildlife, and, and just observe and teach them about it. Most of all, I'm so thankful for everyone that listens to this podcast. I hope that you do get to encounter some baby wildlife this spring. 
share this information with others, share the podcast with others. If you're encountering some baby wildlife and have questions, a great place to share with us would be the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast Q&A page on Facebook. You can also follow along on our Facebook page or TikTok or Instagram as we put videos, pictures, and content up of the things that we are out doing. Whatever platform that you're listening on, we would love if you hit the automatic download and subscribe button so that you get all of the new episodes. Also, please, please leave us a review. That is so helpful to us to help us stay on the charts so that if people are finding the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. Again, we're so thankful for all of you. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. We hope that you find time to get out and enjoy the spring outdoors. And as always, remember that you are meant to be outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.